So our first question, Dr. Jennings, how does one surrender to do work with boundaries? One example here is the recurring need for helping church people move. Most times they have mismanaged time or have excess belongings that are plainly a burden to themselves. Must I now reap what they have sown? Another need comes from people who squandered their working years and now have a need for gas money or a place to live, but own two big dogs or a bunch of cats, a luxury when living hand to mouth. Is it unchristian to draw a, a boundary? So there's no rule to apply to circumstances like this. This is where one has to be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit in real time and in every circumstances. If you act to always help everybody in need with circumstances like this, you will harm some. If you act to set boundaries with everyone like this, you will harm some. So you actually have to use the, let the Holy Spirit guide you. For instance, people who have acted in ways that didn't use their time best and mismanaged resources and ended up in dire straits. Well, this is uh, an opportunity to show grace. What is grace? Something where somebody comes in and helps somebody when they know they put themselves in a bad situation. This is what Jesus did for us. These are some of Christ's parables about the debtor who got himself into terrible debt and couldn't pay his debt and it was forgiven. But then he turned around and was going to hold the other person accountable and, and wouldn't show grace. And so there's an aspect where you show grace and help somebody and they know they put themselves in a circumstance that it can bring them to conviction and transformation. But Others might actually be enabled to continue living destructively. And so there is no rule here. This is where you have to be open to the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to give you some wisdom, insight, the conviction of heart to know in this circumstance, what is the most gracious act of love that you can do in governance of yourself that would be most redemptive to the people you're dealing with? That's how you have to deal with those types of circumstances. Could you share your thoughts on the best way to support Israel during this horrific but necessary war? I find this question quite fascinating, and I'm so glad somebody put it in there. It's quite interesting because this question has so many um, um, built-in assumptions uh, and, uh, and beliefs that I think are quite common to most of the people that I talk to anyway, so I'm really thankful it's there. But, for instance, it says this, this, this necessary war. Why is it necessary? Necessary war? Hmm. What about why we should support Israel rather than Ham? <laughs> rather than the other side? Well, why not? Why not? Uh, an email that says, "Could you share your thoughts on the best way to support Ukraine, or the best way to support Russia?" or the best way to support Somalia in their war, or the best way to support uh, uh, 20 years ago, Iraq or Kuwait, or before that, Bosnia, Herzegovina. Why is it that Israel got stuck in here? Is there some belief that Israel plays some particular special role that we should be supporting them in global conflicts and wars? Well, hmm, as I thought about this, I remember Jesus when he was on earth before his actual crucifixion, before his rejection by his people, while his people were still his people, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would fight. But my kingdom is from another place. This is what he said. You can read it in scripture. So question, did Jesus actually mean, my kingdom is not of this world except for the nation state of Israel? Is that what he actually meant? No. 
all the nations of the world are not mine except the nation state of Israel is, is my kingdom on this world. Did Jesus actually misspeak and get it wrong? Or when he said, my kingdom is not of this world, did that include the nation state of Israel that eventually led to his crucifixion? You guys seem stumped. No. Okay. All righty. So the point being is, um, I find this quite fascinating. Why do you think we need to go to war as the way the world does? Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapon we use are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to Jesus Christ. Yes, we're in a war, but it's not war with nation states. So I'm going to suggest there is uh, that how do we support Israel? We support Israel like we support every other single nation in this world by taking them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Break them out of fighting the civil and other political wars of nation states and kingdoms and bring them to where they're fighting the spiritual war, where they're reborn and they're living for Jesus Christ. That's how we support them. So to the degree you can bring messianic, Jewish material over to advance Jesus Christ as the savior to the people living over there. That's the way I would say we support Israel during this time. What have been some recent truth bombs and deepening themes you faced and are working through? Interesting question. I think one of the biggest truth bombs I've had to face in my personal life over the last five to 10 years is the complete corruption of the medical establishment, at least in America, and the corporation of medicine in which um, many of the practitioners, I will view the practitioners today um, uh, being mostly innocents who are become innocent agents of a machine that gives them bad information. Your decisions can only be as good as the information upon which they're based. And the, the academic and corporate systems of the medical community in America has uh, propagandized and misinformed to a huge degree through various industrial co-opting co of the federal regulatory agencies and academia itself and the publishing and peer review literature pathways and pipelines that so much of what is being presented to the practitioners, even though they mean well and, and, are, and want to do well, are distorted in, in various ways that undermine their ability to actually present uh, healthy alternatives for, for many of the things that we face. Oh, sure, basic things like how do you suture a wound? How do you set a broken bone? You can have confidence in those types of things. But on the larger landscape of what's happening on the healthcare industry, there's a lot of things that are happening where physicians are um, misinformed and don't really understand the the unhealthy things that they're often prescribing and promoting in their practice now. And I don't think there's any maliciousness in their heart any more than in the dark ages. I think there were probably a lot of regular day-to-day -day Catholic priests that were doing their best, uh, but they were also part of a system that gave them a lot of misinformation. And so they weren't actually doing as well as they could do had they had the truth. That's the biggest thing that I've struggled with, I think, the big truth bomb. Don't trust, think for yourself, evaluate for yourself, come to your own conclusion. They don't have to uh, think for themselves. Pardon? A lot of them don't have time to think for themselves, she said. Yeah. 
The time of Jacob's trouble, somewhere in Ellen White's writings, possibly the great controversy, she seems to indicate that there is coming a time in which the people of God live in the end, will have some type of wake-up moment where they are in agony over um, you know, their circumstance, whether they are remaining in uh, any cherished sins or not. Um, then they finally realized what Dr. Jennings covered last week at the end of last week's lesson where I went through Jesus pleading in heaven and, and he's pleading to us to not listen to the lies that accuse us in our own minds, if you remember that. Um, Common Reason Ministries has the most important message and there is a not, uh, not a more important ministry. Well, thank you for that um, encouragement. Uh, God never uses power to hurt us. If God never uses power to hurt us, the power and violence he commanded in the Old Testament to eliminate necrotic people seems to have set a precedent of ends justifying the means as well as the confusion over his character. Do you think God could have opened a way for the Messiah without having people become killers? So those are two different questions. One is the people doing the killing. The other is God himself doing it. The first one you have to understand, though, there's no precedent for, for the ends justify the means. They're always the same means. The act of love, acting therapeutic, to protect and to heal, and God is doing that. What people confuse it is because they don't actually discern that God putting people to sleep in Old Testament times is not the wages of sin death. They conflate the two. And so when they see the flood or Sodom and Gomorrah, the firstborn of Egypt or the platoons that came to arrest Elijah, they think God is killing people because that's our understanding of death. But that is not God killing people. That is God putting people to sleep. He will raise them again. And every single one of them come up with the same train of thoughts as they went to sleep. It's really like pushing the pause button. It's just like freezing them in time. And if, if instead of their bodies turning to dust, if God would have simply literally froze them in suspended animation, and you could actually go in some museum and see all these living people just frozen, and then they will uh, fall out and continue their life, you might conclude differently about what God did uh, then, and you might not say, well, they're not dead, they're just frozen. That's kind of really in God's landscape of things, what happened, and they will resurrect in one of two resurrections, and they will finish their life by their own choices. So, so no, this is not ends justifying the means. It's God acting in love therapeutically to heal and to restore always. The difference, though, in the last question, do you think God could have opened a way for Messiah without having the people become killers? Absolutely. He offered them that. And if you read in the, in the um, first five books, I think it's in the book of Numbers, maybe it's Leviticus, but God says, I will send the hornet before you. I will send the pestilence before you. And little by little, as they give up the land, you will take over the land. And it was God's plan that they would never go in and go to war, but they insisted on going to war. And so God said, if you're going to insist on going to war, then I want the least number of people being killed in war, and I want the least number of people having PTSD and be traumatized by war. So if you're going to not go with my plan, if you're going to go with your plan, then wipe them out, every bit of them, none left. And if you would have done that, they would have had the least numbers of people killed and the least numbers of people because it had been done in one generation. And instead, they didn't do that. And we've had 4,000 years of ongoing war, which is still going on today, right now in Israel, still war, because they didn't do what they were told. And so it was God's design that they should never go to war. But since they insisted, he wanted them to do it in a way that would cause least harm to least people instead of having generational war that never ends, which is what's happened. It says, when it is obvious to me that the Holy Spirit led me to help a person, I'm extremely blessed, even unto tears, after realizing what has happened. However, I am so sad that I failed to mention to the person I helped that helped them and that this was an interaction that came because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Is the act more for us 
than the person we were to, uh, led to help. The act, every action is for both. Every action reacts upon the person doing it and helps them, and every action that is done um, via the leading of the Holy Spirit will be a blessing to others as well. So it's both. It's not either or. Both are being blessed. But, the, but the, the, there's an idea here that you might consider. If you are actually following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, have you considered that the Holy Spirit also prompted you not to mention it? Jesus many times did miracles and then slipped away without taking credit or, or giving a sermon afterwards. And, uh, and so it's possible the Holy Spirit may know the heart of that person and know that person just needed an act of kindness, an act of love. That's the seed that needed today. And had you said the other, they might have had such biases and such prejudices, they would have thought, oh, they don't really care about me. They're only doing it because they're getting some good work from their church that they have to do. This is a work for them. And they're just getting credit for that. And they would have discounted the whole blessing. So I would encourage you, rather than saying, I, I feel sad that I didn't say the Holy Spirit led me, that you should consider the possibility the Holy Spirit led you to do it. And the Holy Spirit led you to keep quiet about it, too. <laughs> Don't let the right hand know what the left hand's doing. This is based on your definition of popery, and they're referring to my blog that came out this, this past week. Um, your definition of popery, you uh, provided, or maybe it was one last week, but that you provided regarding Babylon. Does the king of the north or south uh, both fulfill? Yes, popery is a methodology. It is the, it is the methodology of using coercion over conscience. So any group of people that are using coercive force on the consciences of others are practicing the methodology of what popery is. And, uh, and so, yes, anybody can do that, whether they're religious or not. Uh, there's a quotation, uh, there's, excuse me, there's a question here where somebody is referencing a Ellen White comment about Lucifer, the highest expression of his creative power, and so forth and so on. Um, whoever put that in, if you'd like me to answer that question, resubmit it with the reference from Ellen White, because you didn't reference it, and you've only suggested what she may or may not have said. And so I, I don't, that's hearsay, as far as I'm concerned. That's, uh, I, and there's, there is a kind of a pseudo-epigrapha of Ellen White. And I'm not saying she didn't say it. I'm just saying it's not triggering in my mind a quote that I can recite or go find. And since I can't cite it and go find it, I need you to cite it for me so I can go find it and then respond to it rather than responding on something we believe she may or may not have said. So find that quote, resubmit your question, give me the reference, I'll go look it up and we'll talk about it. In my church, and I assume many others, members faithfully study their quarterly day by day during the week in most cases, it seems that they are trained to follow the penal legal lead of the editor. Many have done this for decades. Could this be a habit forming and training them what to think rather than how to think? Absolutely. That's why we go through questioning, 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 and presenting alternative views so people can think it through and check for themselves. But you're exactly right. It's a, way, it's a form of indoctrination. And we are not to be indoctrinated. We are to uh, be uh, like the Bereans, check things out and study for ourselves. It reminds me of the media lies relative to COVID and vaccine. This seems to be a huge organizational mindset to overcome and corroborate your example. How does it help us mentally, physically, and spiritually to speak to God of gratitude or questions and confessions of weaknesses, faults, mistakes, and failures? What is the mechanism at work here that brings healing and character development? And how do we open ourselves completely 
to accept these blessings. So the process is one of pursuing truth. The truth heals and the truth sets free. As you have conversations with God, if you're thankful, that actually activates circuits uh, that calm the amygdala, calm stress cascades, reduce inflammatory cascades, lead to better physical health. If you actually have questions as you pursue those answers that, and you find those answers, then you make changes in your understanding, which actually brings more peace and removes fear because ultimately the truth leads back to a relation with God. And as we have a relation with God, we have more trust. And if we have more trust, we have less fear of the unknown and things. And so that actually results in reduced inflammatory cascades. As we have truth about life around us or our physical health, we make better decisions related to our body and our spirit temple. So we don't put toxic things in them. We exercise, we get good sleep, we get fresh air, we get sunshine. We do the things that are healthy for the physiology because we're coming to the source of truth and we're understanding what's true. And that actually has better physical health and that actually gives us the better brain. So we're less irritable and we're less likely to snap at people. And as we forgive people who've wronged us, we don't become grudge holders. We don't become re resentful. And that actually reduces the firing the amygdala, reduces inflammatory cascades, give better physical health. And so across the landscape, as we apply God's principles to our life to an integ integrated way, the whole being becomes healthier and uh, both on a physiological side, a relational side, spiritual side, and psychological side. It's all connected. Unless that's the last question, let's go close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and the way you have provided the truth in scripture, in science and nature, and how life actually works, our experiences. We ask that your spirit will, will help us unite these truths to see the whole as it is in Jesus, that we can be your agents, your hands, your feet, taking this message to others in this world. We pray in your holy name. Amen.